This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. I am Nick Limsdahl. My guest this week is Dr. Mike Goldsby. He is a professor of entrepreneurship and executive director of the Entrepreneurship Center in the Miller College of Business at Ball State University. He teaches creativity, innovation, and design in the university's undergrad and graduate programs in entrepreneurship. His research on entrepreneurship and fitness has been reported on everywhere, including all the major networks. And his book, which he co-authored with Rob Matthews, is Entrepreneurship, The Disney Way. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you, Nick. Good to be on the show. Yeah. So, um, one one thing I recently found out is that you run marathons and, and Ironmans, so um, you know which is a big deal, and it's not not it's difficult and uh, it's definitely not easy. But you also did a study around uh, fitness. But you know, before we get into the study, you know, what made you want to get into these um, Ironmans? Because nobody just wakes up and uh, jumps off their couch and says, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to brush these knees off and start doing an Ironman." Yeah, I think, you know, it comes from a sports background and I was a very serious runner when I was younger. When I say younger, I mean, I was a very serious runner up into my uh, mid forties and then I started to have some injuries. Uh, and, and also I, as I started to slow down as a runner and I was still, I mean, I was still fairly fast, but you know how it is as, as running yourself, uh, not what I once was. And I needed a challenge that would still make me uh, get up in the morning and have something to train for. And there's nothing no bigger challenge in endurance sports than Ironman triathlons. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot of training and it's something that you can get better at for a long time. There's a big, there's a big learning curve, which appealed to me that it would be something that would allow me to, to uh, satisfy my competitive juices, even as I got older. Yeah, no, that's really cool. So uh, you, you did the, the fitness study. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, sure. Now, I've actually done a number of studies on fitness and entrepreneurs, and I've got some new work coming out, too. And predominantly, uh, what they're looking at is that, as you were saying, by being busy, entrepreneurs are some of the busiest people in the world. And so any time away from the business has to be asked, is that, is that time well spent? And so when, you're, when you're, if you're, <laughs> you're training for a race, whatever it is, or you're doing some sport, whatever it is, you're not at the business. So should you be at the business? And one of the pre- predominant uh, factors that we looked at a lot were things like stress, how it affects stress. A new study we're doing right now looks at security, your sense of security. Uh, we've looked at goals in the past, how you achieve your goals. And we've even looked at the company's performance. And what we found is that uh, a consistent physical fitness uh, routine, specifically even, even more vigorous, the better, more vigorous, the better. Uh, that uh, it, it reduces stress. And when you can reduce stress, you increase the, your engagement in the business, you feel better. And it also uh, actually helps with keeping people from exiting the business, from being exhausted. So at working out actually helps with exhaustion. And more importantly, uh, it gives you satisfaction. When re- stress goes down, you're more satisfied. And then the company performs better as well. So you know, what we, what, 
my co-authors, when we were looking at this, we were all serious athletes ourselves. Some were former college athletes in some of these studies. And we were saying, you know, we're pretty high performers in our profession and we all work out daily and we're pretty serious. Is that the case with entrepreneurs as well? And we found that, that it was. Hmm. Yeah. So for the ones who, uh, who are not into fitness, who are running a startup or trying to be an entrepreneur or who are entrepreneurs, um, would you give them advice to say, Hey, you might want to start working out or do some type of physical fitness to improve your engagement or, um, you know, give them that extra pep. Yeah, I definitely would. And, and there's some reasons for that too. Some of the research we looked at too, is that, uh, so stress, if, if people have stress, they may not be sleeping well. And if they're not sleeping well, they may gain weight. Uh, if they gain weight, they may also have other health problems. And so uh, physical fitness is, is just a wonderful, natural way to reduce stress and have all those positive physical things. Because the deal is, um, if, if you have any type of physical problems, then that's going to interfere with running the business as well, or it's going to make life more stressful, or it's going to make it harder. So it's really worth it to fit something in, whether it's yoga, whether it's weightlifting or uh, running or cycling or whatever, you know, people need to get, take some time to move. The other thing I think too, is that we've never studied this, but it's something for future studies is I think that, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I get a lot of my good ideas when I'm running or mm -hmm. when I'm on my bike. And I, and I think it's sort of meditative. We get away from uh, our daily concerns and our mind kind of opens up. And I think that's when ideas start to release. It's sort of, you know, we're outside or we're in a different environment. We're meditative in the sense of, of focusing on our breathing or focusing on our activity. And all those concerns of the day go away and then, and then creativity bubbles up as well. So I think that's an also benefit that's well worth studying. Yeah, no, I think that would, I would be interested in reading that in the, for a, a future article or research. Um, I would, I would hundred percent agree when, when you're out there and you're putting in effort, uh, regardless of the sport, um, your mind clears past the fog of every day. Exactly. Um, and, and when you get in this rhythm of breathing and, and exercise and uh, feeling potentially pain, sweating, et cetera, you, you, you become focused on the, the important things uh, immediately. What's, what's important to you and, and your state of mind uh, in, in running or, or any other sport, but then you are able to clearly focus on, on other things. So um, that'd be fun, fun one to look at, but, yeah. Before we get into uh, the book, which I uh, look forward to, is uh, what does customer experience mean to Mike? Yeah, so customer experience to me is it, it's a feeling that I get as a customer. It's, it's a feeling that no matter what you're saying or, or what you're advertising or other things try to put out there, it's a way that you really interact with me. It's, it's the way your product or service what it provides me. It's the way you treat me. It's where if I have a problem, you help me with it. It's where uh, maybe you, you help prevent some of the problems by thinking ahead and, and trying to work those things out. It's trying to fix those things. So it's, it's really showing that you deeply care about me as a customer, that, that I'm not just a dollar uh, going into your company's uh, bank, but, but that I'm, I'm actually the focus of why you're in business. And, and, and we know that, you know, we know, we see it in the actions and we see it in, in the interactions as well. And it's more than just the corporate uh, 
lines that are you know heavily uh, processed and designed, uh, mm-hmm. which are important. That's your message, but you want to make sure that the actions and the interactions are consistent with those those corporate lines. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's so important to not just have music to the customer's ears if it's not what your true action is. Exactly. Um, so great point. Um, what made you want to write this book, The Entrepreneurship, The Disney Way? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I did not have much uh, history with the Walt Disney Company when, when uh, I got interested in writing the book. And what happened was I was at a conference uh, around 2008 and I, you know, I came from more of a sports background. And so I, I, I spent a lot of time in the mountains. I spent a lot of time in places that were outdoors. I did some rock climbing too. So I was, I was more of an outdoors person. I didn't have much interest in theme parks. And I was at a conference in, in Anaheim and I had a late flight. It got, it got pushed back and I had some time. And right down the road was Disneyland. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll go down there and check it out. Mm-hmm. And I had been there once as a little kid. I, had, I have vague memories of it. And I went, I went there and I spent the day and, and I, I remember taking a break and I was sitting on the hub at Disneyland in the middle of the park in front of the castle, the iconic castle. And I saw a partner statue of Walt Disney and Mickey Mouse. And I was just so impressed with everything I was seeing that day. And I was really enjoying this, the, the, the experience. And I thought, you know, I want to know more about this person who came up with this. And so I started reading up on Walt Disney. And the more I dug into Walt Disney, the more and more I got fascinated with him. And it, it just became a, an obsession uh, in a sense, one of a kind. Uh, he's an icon. He was an icon to Steve Jobs and so many other great entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And I can see why. I mean, his, his life story and what he attained and what he achieved and what we still live in and with is a result of Walt Disney. I mean, it's, it, it showed me that the impact what one person can do in the world uh, and that became a theme of so many things of, of the impact one person can have on history and on the world uh, at different sizes. And the more I learned about him, the, the, the more I liked. So I got to the point where I actually ended up making friends with a lot of people at the company. And I have friends still who are executives at the company and uh, some former retired executives who are now uh, buddies that we do things together. And uh all that stemmed out of, out of a curiosity. And, and, and Walt was the same way. Walt would pursue a path that he just got curious with and then got obsessed with and had no set plan. But eventually I thought, you know, I've got to share these things that I'm finding incredible about Walt Disney and the company to others, my own lessons. Because I, as a, as a business professor and, and a professor of design and creativity mm-hmm. <clears throat> as well, I don't know of any other company that, mixes creativity and business better together than the Walt Disney company. Hmm. Yeah, no, it, it's fascinating reading your book around the, the lessons, uh, the Disney lessons, uh, what you kind of spread throughout the entire book. And was there uh, 30 lessons? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. 30 lessons. Um, yeah. So uh, I want to pick a few of them and then sure. um, ask you a few questions on it. But, um, you know, the, the first one I want to ask you is on a lesson four. And it's um, go where your pl- best place of opportunity is. And you go on to say that not everyone is willing to leave the perceived safety of what they know. Why is that? Yeah, so the, the, the key word there is perceived. Perceived, you know, sense of safety. 
Because mm-hmm. as we've learned through the COVID situation, many of us probably thought that we were in safe situations and it was perceived. You know, we found out we weren't. So the way to live your life is always to play the best opportunity for you. Now, that, that doesn't always mean moving. Maybe the best opportunity for you is where you're at right now and you need to, to, to do your best in making that work. But if there's something better, the, the really successful people always go to the better they, and, they, and they're willing to take that risk of giving up what's known with the faith that they, they'll figure it out as they go. And, and that's what that's all about. And Walt Disney uh, at a young age left Kansas City where he had grown up and uh, went out to Hollywood to be with his, his brother and his uncle. And, and, and if I can just share with you something about that, about the place of best opportunity, this, this boggles my mind. I've told this story so many times because when I dug into the history and the serendipity and the unknown, Walt built that company after bankruptcy later into what it is today with, it, with his brother, Roy. Okay. Roy had eight years of banking experience from working in Kansas City. He goes off to World War I. He gets tuberculosis. He comes back. He doesn't go into the bank because he has to recuperate from tuberculosis. He goes out to California to be near his uncle. And also because the air is, is drier and, and uh, warmer because he thinks that'll help. And when Walt goes bankrupt, he goes out there to be with his, his brother. And if, if Roy is not convalescing in Hollywood uh, at a VA hospital, hmm. Walt doesn't have Roy to do the business side to build the business at the golden age when Hollywood is just starting to take off. Because before that, in animation, New York City was the place. He goes out there and with $40 in his pocket, goes to Kansas City and his brother brings that eight years banking experience that he can use there because he's not working in Kansas City. If, if Roy had not had tuberculosis, Roy would have married his sweetheart in Kansas City, been a banker, and, and Walt probably would not be the person we have today. So everything that you know about the Walt Disney Company, everything mm-hmm. that you see, every, every visit you have with one of their parks is a result of that serendipitous moment in time at the right place, right time, right people doing the right thing of Walt mm-hmm. and Roy joining up in 1923. Hmm. That, that is, it's um, a heck of a story. Yeah. Uh, and, and if his brother wouldn't, wouldn't have gotten tuberculosis, he wouldn't have moved to um, Kansas City either. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a, I, I read that in there and it was a, that's a good ad. Um, you know, one of the things you also mentioned was uh, Walt looked at the films from the perspective of his customers. And I believe that's really important. Um, and, um, and he knew that what the audience liked because he believed that he was one of them. Um, yeah. So why was it important to, for Walt to walk in the shoes of his customers? You know, it's it's something I think when you, there's there's sides of Walt that he, some people said that he could be uh, kind of a wounded bear type of guy. He could walk around and he'd be stressed. And and you know, we heard this about Steve Jobs, how Steve Jobs was mercurial, and I'm sure they had that side to their personality. But I think more of it came from the fact of how how much they were trying to give to the customer. I think mm-hmm. they dared, they cared deeply that whatever they gave them was going to be of the highest quality. And Walt, having grown up in middle America, he, he was kind of the average American at that time. Mm-hmm. And so he understood America and he wanted to, I think to a certain degree, he wanted to give those people something that he, he missed out on when he was younger, you know? And so he, he, mm-hmm. he was able to, he was not only creating for them, he was creating for himself 
but almost like his younger self. And for people, uh, just the average American out there in the country that, you know, uh, maybe didn't have the most refined taste, maybe wasn't uh, schooled in the best schools, but, but just, you know, hardworking Americans that uh, he wanted to give them something to brighten their day. And, and more importantly, this is what Walt, Walt always tried to do and what all the great entrepreneurs do, especially when it comes to customer experience. They try to surprise and delight those customers. They not only give them what they're expecting, they give them more. They give them something that they haven't seen before, something that they don't normally get. Mm -hmm. And I'm always convinced that, one, you got to find out what supports your customer and, and make sure you meet that. And I call those critical success factors. Mm -hmm. But then you need to, need to go a step further to surprise them. You know, and that's what Steve Jobs said as well, just as Disney, was uh, the customer didn't always know what they wanted. And so when we show it to them, if we know them well, we'll have a belief that they're going to love it. And related to that with that customer experience and all those lessons there, mm -hmm. and this, this is something I think that needs to be really important to your, to your listeners, is attention to details. Attention to details. I mean, obsessing over the details. Those little details on their own, one individual one may not be that big of a deal, but a thousand of those added, added up will make the difference. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And actually, this is a, a great transition. So um, uh, lesson eight, it talks about the entrepreneurial leaders set the example for everyone else in the company to follow. So if you wanted to know what Walt Disney was like, all you have to do is watch one of his productions. And, you know, he, he had this obsessive uh, nature to the quality that he was providing to his customers. And I, and I love that. But I believe the same is true in customer service. Um, you know, we need to have every interaction from customer service should be a production to that customer. Um, and I believe that customer service needs to have also that obsessive quality, um, to that customer experience. But, um, you know, you, you kind of talked about the obsessiveness, but you know, it's interesting on, on how much he was obsessed with that the quality and what he would put into it, just the little tiny marks. And like you just said, the marks made the difference because it was incremental incremental things. So back to running, just because you ran your, your five miles or 10 miles or 15 miles that week, doesn't mean you were going to see the difference in the week after, but it was the incremental things over time that you're going to reach the ultimate goal. Exactly. Yeah. I'm reading a lot of books right now about professional cycling because I'm, I'm trying to get better on the cycling part of triathlons and I'm so I'm reading a lot about the Lance Armstrong era in the US Postal and what what's fascinating is how much attention to detail those champion teams give not not only to the riders but the mechanics and sonios and the all the people around the team and the in the in the dietitians and it's the attention to details because a a half a percent could be the difference in a 21 day race that's right yeah and just just turning the, the, the digit just a little bit or making sure that they have the right shoes or the right socks that they're wearing. There was a, I can't remember the coach back in, in the day, but uh, I think it was, might've been Duke university. I might be getting it totally botched, but just bear with me for a second. Sure. Um, he was a hall of fame coach and he would get all these, the, the, you know, probably the best of the best players in D one. And the very first day in practice, he would make sure that they knew how to tie their shirts correctly. Uh-huh. 
And, and all these players at the very beginning were like, uh, specifically freshmen, because they hadn't gone through it, were like, you're nuts. Like, what yeah. are we doing? We are almost professional athletes. I'm probably only going to be here for a year. And he goes, I want you to understand the basics before I can teach you everything else. Exactly. Uh, do, you remember the, do you remember the coach by chance? Yeah, actually, I think it was John Wooden at UCLA. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I say it because John Wooden's from Indiana, and I'm here in Indiana. So we yeah. have a we grew we grew up that as a, as a as a state religion. So I learned about that as a, as a young boy. There you go. But you know, going back to the foundation, understanding the basics before you understand what's yes. important. But you know, even even cycling. This you know, think of uh, the biggest race in cycling, the, the Tour de France. It's um, it is a production, and you, like is. you said, that half a percent is is make or break. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so. A, ch- a lessons a lesson 11 you talk about um you know the price to pay for greatness so what what is the price to pay for greatness yeah i mean there's 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 a there's a big price to pay for greatness and you have you have to be willing to accept this and i coach a lot of business people very a lot of them very successful and oftentimes they'll be at different stages where they're going through something hard. And I'll say, yep, this is exactly what you're supposed to be going through at this time of the company. This is exactly, this is, this is the game. This is how it works. And it, and it's comforting for them to know that when they hear that, they're like, okay, this is this, then it's okay because this is what, this is how it works. And with greatness, greatness, there's always a trade-off. I, you know, I think if you, if, I don't know if you saw it, but the last dance on ESPN about Michael Jordan, it was really well done. 10, 10 episode documentary, really well done. And it showed the price that he paid to be great. I think anybody that becomes great, the, the trade-off is, is you're not going to live a life like other people. And when you, when you don't live a life like other people, you're going to have fewer people that understand what you're going through. And, and it's, it's not only lonely at the top because maybe there's, you, you have a different material existence. Maybe people want a certain piece. I don't think you have to be like financially wealthy to be great. You can be great at something, but anybody that's great at something, uh, there's fewer people that understand the price that's paid. There's few people that understand what went into that. That wasn't, it didn't just happen overnight. It's like, it's like Nick, when you, before the show, you and I talked a lot about running and we were, you know, we're both serious runners so we, we know the price to be paid when you do 100 miles. You know, there's, there's a few parties you miss along the way. There's a few family gatherings you might not go to because of a race. But other, everybody else is enjoying a different way of life, and, and very few people understand the joy of what comes with being excellent at something, but also the price that's paid by the trade-off. And in life, everything is trade-offs. And part of that greatness, too, is that as you push hard, you know, I don't know about you, but when I was doing a lot of my heavy miles as a runner, uh, maybe I was a little tired on the other hours of the day. Maybe I, I didn't, maybe I got a little grumpy now and then because I my you know, I was, I was a little, uh, stressed out from the, the, the body hurting, you know, or I didn't run as well as I wanted to in a race. And so there, there's also a sort of a price to be paid in our mood with greatness, obsessiveness. Uh, so I think, I think fewer people understand one, what it takes to be great, and then two, what it's like to be, to live a life of greatness. And really, when we talk about greatness, we're talking about excellence. Mm. And, but, you know, for those of us who are wired or have a value system that's based on excellence, we wouldn't want it any other way. But, yeah. but you have to accept that that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And, then, and most people don't understand the, that price, and they, there's not much empathy for people who are excellent. There's not much empathy for greatness. 
because they think, well, they've got it all. And it's like, no, nah, they, they really don't. They, they give up a lot of things to have that greatness. Yeah. A lot of people only see greatness for when people are great. Right. Uh, they don't see the sacrifice that they put in because that, that's from my perspective. And a lot of times it's a sacrifice of time that you're doing something um, in replace of something else. Yep. Um, and, and it's, you know, being purposeful for the right reasons instead of having, um, you know, sticking with status quo, you're actually looking at ways to improve and adapt um, in that moment. And maybe that's where some of the biggest entrepreneurs have made their moves because they see that, that, that inside that race there, they see, um, I made an, an analogy um, in a talk I gave in October and it talked about um, in, in running, um, and, and it's funny, we keep going back and running, but yeah. in running, there comes a point in time, um, specifically in, in any race, but you're behind somebody and you need, you're very uncomfortable, but there's a need to be a time in, in, in that race that you need to make that move and go around them, or you're going to stick with status quo and uh -huh. you're going to say, I'm good, or I'm going to see what this is going to be like. And it's going to be really uncomfortable and yeah. I might hit my next personal record. Right. Um, so being able to take that and seeing that move, that move, but it's not going to kill me, right. It's going right. to hurt really bad. Yeah. Uh, but it might get me to my next stepping stone to where my business objectives are supposed to be. Yeah. My brother, he's a very good runner as well. And we've done a lot of running together and we used to say that when it's hurting the most, that's when you should push the hardest. Right. So instead of backing off, you push harder because you know that maybe some of the other people will break at that same time. And for me, when I, when I ran the mile, it was always that third lap, you know, everybody can kick on the last lap, but, if, but it's after the, crossing 800 meters uh, in, in running a mile race, two laps that you go, okay, on that back stretch of the third lap when everybody's trying to regather, I'm going to push it and I'm going to push it hard and just, and then just see what I got on the last quarter. And we were talking about Alan Webb. I saw him do that a number of times when he would race, he would, put the hammer down on that third lap and uh, you would just see the other, other people just, just crumble. And, and that's, that's the way it is in business too. <clears throat> when it's the hardest is when you, when you push right now with, with COVID and everything else going on, I know people are having a business people are going through a really hard time, but the ones that push and make it through this are going to be, are going to have a boom period in, mm -hmm. in a couple of years. I mean, they're going to have more business than they can handle because once the economy comes back, I think we're going to, this is going to be the roaring twenties mm. after this all passes. People are going to be so cooped up and, and just like in 1920s in the 1920s after the Spanish flu and world war one called it the roaring twenties because they were just ready to explode and live life. And I think we're going to be the same way. So hang in there, whatever you can do to hang in there, because once, if you get through this period, uh, there's, there's a gold mine on the other side of it. Mm. Yeah, that is some great advice. Um, you know, a couple of things, a couple other things I want to touch on. Um, you mentioned that in, um, well, that, that uh, there's a lot of quotes that you have inside this book. Um, you know, which, which one is your favorite? Do you have, do you have a, one that just kind of stands out to you? Yeah, you know, it's something that Walt said uh, that, well, my favorite one is about, that I wrote was about, uh, putting your place in the best place opportunity for yourself. I mean, I believe in that so much uh, that, uh, that for you, entrepreneurs are always opportunity about opportunity. So, I, so we talked, we discussed that. Uh, but for Walt, it was, it was the best way to get started 
doing something is to quit talking and start doing. Mm. And, you know, like writing a book, there's a lot of people talk about writing a book, but very few who actually do write a book. And I can tell you that writing a book is the hardest thing I've ever done. Hardest mm. thing I've ever done. Because you talk about sacrifice. Um, when you're sitting behind that computer and you're trying to get the words down and you're editing and rewriting <laughs> and it's a beautiful July day and <laughs> you know, you, you're just like, ah, oh, and you got a deadline coming up and you want to be outside. You want to be on the bike or you want to be out in the mountains or doing something and you've got to sit there and write that book. And, you know, so, you know, that it's what Walt said, you know, you got, you got to do. And let me just say this, the, the other thing that I have found is that, and I, this has become a way of life for me, is that the difference also on the, on the greatness and people who are excellent is they, they do the hard things first. They get started. And as I've gotten very, very almost maniacal about getting things done, I try to get things done before deadlines. I try to get things done. If something's due in, I have things due in February, I'm going to try to get them done by November. Uh, one, it just... It, it shocks the heck out, out of people who are expecting it and it becomes kind of your personal brand. But the second thing is, is that I don't like the feeling of having something on my shoulder. Yeah. I don't like, I don't like, I don't know how anybody could procrastinate and put something off because that, that, that rock on your shoulder just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I'd rather remove it so I can spend more of my time focusing on things that I, I really want to do or want to get better at. And so, um, so I'm very focused about what I, what I do and if I commit to something, I get going on it. And that's what Walt Disney did as well. You know, it, it, everything that, that the Walt Disney company has today because of Walt would not have happened without that same philosophy that he had. Mm. Yeah. One, one of my favorite quotes that I've kind of uh, had in, in my back pocket is uh, whatever you do, do it well, do it so well that when people see you do it, they will want to come back and see you do it again. And then they'll want to bring others and show them how well you do what you do. And I'm like, wow, that is so awesome. Um, I guess my question is, why do, why, do come, why do families keep coming back to Disney? Well, you know, the main reason is there's nothing like it in the world. And uh, I, I, now that I've done the research, and I've gotten to know the company and I, I, I go back quite regularly. Uh, and every, I'll tell you this, every time I go back, Every trip is better. Every trip is better. You would think I'd get tired of it. But the reason being is that, uh, in a, you know, Walt called it the, uh, and some of those people called it the, the architecture of reassurance. It's mm -hmm. a place that no matter what's going on in the world, there's a place there that uh, is, is going to uh, show real care for the customer and also put it within an environment built on all those details on all those attention to details and a consistent theming. So you've got, you've got the really unique place that they've built. And then you've got the, the customer service within that. And what's fascinating is that people who go there and come back regularly say that one of the things that they really remember about the trips really is the interaction with the cast members more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the key lessons for customer service is I, I gave some talks uh, last year to some groups, different professional groups. And I said, the best advertising for your company is your employees because it's your employees that interact with people. Because if, if you have good interaction with the employees, 
I guarantee that the word of mouth that comes from that is going to be the best advertising. And that's not just word of mouth mm-hmm. to out people outside your home. It could be word of mouth to people in your family. You know, the next trip that, you know, somebody goes to Disney, it may not just be a couple or, or one family, it might be five families going together and yeah. booking that. So Disney makes its money on recurring revenue. Yeah. It wants you to have a bigger, a bigger slice of the pie when you go there but it's also on you coming back over and over again. And the only way they can do that is to maintaining that standard that won't set and then offering new things. And, and when there's a problem fixing it and giving the customers or the employees, the, the leeway to fix those things, training them how to do that. And uh, one of my uh, good friends, Dan Cockrell used to run the magic kingdom. He ran Epcot. Uh, he ran uh, Hollywood studios and now he's, he's retired and he's out there giving talks as well on his experiences. And, you know, he said that uh, training people to know what the right behaviors are, how to interact with the customers, uh, people don't always know that. You've got to train them on that. And, you, and you've got to, the, so the frontline managers have to be with the frontline people to keep reinforcing what's expected. And, uh, and so they're good on selection and then they're maniacal about training so that every single customer gets that experience because for some people that might be their one trip there they treat treat it like that as if that's that one person's interaction with disney and they want mm. it to be a good one yeah that the one thing and i there's probably another hundred questions that i could ask but the one comment based off of what you just said on um you know putting them through that internal customer service training they do it at the beginning before they even talk about their entire job which they right. hired them for and i think that is such a great lesson from everybody else in a, in a company and, and their goal was to create happiness is to create that experience where they do want to keep coming back. And it is a, it is a performance. So, um, um, again, there's probably another, um, a bunch of questions that I could ask, but, um, maybe at a different time. So I wrap up, uh, the, every podcast with two questions. Okay. So the first question is, um, and you can't say Walt Disney, but uh, <laughs> what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? And then the second question is, um, if you could leave a note to all the customer service and all the customer experience representatives, um, and it would reach them all, what would it say? Great. Well, the, the one person that has really been influencing you lately is I told you I've been reading a lot on pro cycling and it's Lance Armstrong. Uh, you know, He's uh, kind of fallen off the pedestal uh, over the last 10 years. But as I've read more about the story, the more I, I think that he was playing a pretty level playing field. I think, I think the whole Peloton was playing with the same things. Uh, his price for greatness was that people wanted to pick him out as the one example to tear down the rest of, make everybody else pay for everybody else's uh, sins and punishment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what I read during that time was a story, his stories of the way those pro teams were built over, over 15 years uh, and, and, and the team managers and the coaches and Lance and how they all worked together to, a, to a really win on a stage that no one had ever done before as an American. I mean, Lamont had, but the dominance of U.S. postal team, it was unreal what they accomplished in a sport that they, they should not have even been in, uh, given the history. And so I've, I've loved reading about that and, and the attention to detail and the hard work that they were doing when others might be taking it easy in the wintertime, just the amount of preparation that went into winning. I, I, I just love that. So it, it's, another, it's another story about excellence that uh, I've just loved. And, and as far as the, 
the tip that I would give to your uh, listeners, again, I'll just repeat it. Uh, your employees are your best PR. And so custom, now that might be yourself, even, you know, for one person operation, but it, it's that every interaction you have to treat like it's the only interaction going on. And uh, you may have said something 50 times, we'll say for the 51st time, because that customer is hearing it for the first time. Yeah. And, and it's that, again, that's that discipline, that attention to detail that separates uh, so many. And, and then I think when you do that, you're also modeling it for others to see as well. And, and then when they start seeing, they start putting the pieces together. When they start seeing what comes from that, you don't have to say it as much because they're, they're going to see it. Now, so it's, it's within the company. There's a feeling of excellence. Excellence is a good feeling. You, you were on sports teams. You know what I'm talking about there. But then also for the people involved, you become a reliable, authentic brand. And uh, it becomes a way of life. And so I, I, that's, that's the piece I would give you is that uh, know that yourself or your employees are the best PR that you can ever have. Yeah, that's some great advice. Um, Mike, what's the best way for my listeners to connect with you? Yeah, so uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Michael Goldsby. Uh, but then also my, my email address, uh, mgoldsby at bsu.edu. So that's, that's Ball State University where I'm uh, a professor. So mgoldsby at bsu.edu or on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to... Uh, meet as many of your listeners who, who want to know more about these ideas. And Nick, really enjoy talking to you. Thanks. I, I enjoy your show and it's a real honor to be on it. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much. It was, uh, it was a pleasure to, to catch up and talk about the, the, the running days and uh, hear more about Disney and entrepreneurship. I, I look forward to keeping in touch and learning more about your, the research that you've done. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.